Episode number eight. Hi, Dan. Hey, all right, producer Mike Hughes. Hey, so uh, so it's great to be back. What do we have for the show today? Yeah, I'm so excited. Uh, sorry about the layoff there, but uh, we have an incredible guest with us, Dr. Lester Grinspoon, the Harvard professor emeritus, uh, author of Marijuana Reconsidered and also Marijuana the Forbidden Drug, uh, two absolutely seminal and classic uh, tomes. Uh, for cannabis law reformers and, and researchers, people who want to understand more about marijuana. Uh, and he, uh, a longtime activist for so many years, uh, involved with uh, the deportation trials with John Lennon, having, uh, defending John Lennon, uh, just all kinds of incredible research. Uh, we have... Eggs from Migs, a uh, grower buddy of mine who's going to uh, contribute from Maine. He uh, has been growing up there for now uh, since their medical thing has been going on. And, and uh, so we'll talk about that and we'll talk about some cultivation stuff with him. We have in our cultivation, we're going to be talking about post-harvest. We're going to talk about storage, uh, long-term storage of cannabis and, and hash and things like that. So we're going to do that. And, uh, and also a little bit of news. We're going to start now with some of the news and, uh, and then work our way to the free weed. Oh, that sounds great. But it's, it's been a little while, man. What happened? We, uh, were out for a couple of weeks. I did some traveling there. We went to Boston Freedom Rally. We went to, uh, I went to, uh, the Basque country in the Northern area of Spain uh, to San Sebastian de Nostia, an amazing, beautiful place on the coast of uh, the north coast of Spain. There, um, although they don't refer to it as Spain, they refer to it as just the Basque Country. So, uh, very interesting people, very, very grow oriented. I would say, I would go so far as to say, it's kind of like the NorCal of Europe in a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of growing, a lot of greenhouse farming, a lot of seed production. Really, really amazing uh, stuff going on over there in Europe, and uh, I definitely highly recommend people. People travel and take trips to see the, the cannabis culture that's out there uh, all over the world. And now, uh, were you up in Spain on vacation, or was this assignment? I was, no, I was on assignment. I was on a story uh, about a seed bank called Dynafem, uh, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, in Spain. And uh, some of their production, uh, they're famous for their feminized seeds and autoflowering seeds. And so I kind of wanted to get the lowdown on that. You know, you hear a lot of controversial stuff uh, from cannabis breeders about feminized seeds and autoflowering. And there's a lot of, uh, I guess I would say, like a lot of fear-mongering among uh, certain segments of the, you know, breeder and grower population. But... Uh, 
I wanted to kind of just get the truth about it. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm working on that for a subsequent story in high times. I don't want to reveal too much, but just, uh, stay posted on a very revealing article about, uh, genetics, uh, how seeds are produced, how autoflowers are produced, how feminized are produced, and now feminized autoflowering hazes and things like that. And basically they can do this process to any strain and retain, um, much of the potency level and much of the flavor and, 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 and medicinal properties and everything. And the advantages you can plant them, walk away and harvest 80 days later, uh, long before the mold and the rippers and the helicopters and all the, uh, things that come with, uh, traditional harvest time. So, and, and they're sweeping across Eastern Europe and, uh, and, and Europe in general, and they're going to make their way here too. um, perfect for a Canadian climate and yeah you know you know what's amazing to me is you know when I was younger uh people would get high and just sit around and talk about oh my god how cool would it be to have a job where you travel the world (laughs) just checking out you know gross sites and smoking great pot and meeting these people this is this is your reality this is what you do yeah you yeah i mean yeah you know it is it's very it's it's my favorite part of the job to be honest is is the traveling uh meeting people overseas or even traveling all around the u.s and north america and the, the, all these cultures of cannabis lovers, breeders, growers, smokers, tokers, like everybody. And, you know, even in a place like uh, like San Sebastian where very few people even spoke English, you can make a friend by just putting your lips together, you know, uh, putting your fingers together to your lips like a joint, you know, symbol. And immediately, you know, you meet some surfers, you meet some people out there. And immediately you're sharing a joint and uh, smiles abound and, and, and just this amazing thing that this plant can do across all kinds of cultures and, and religions and boundaries and stuff. It really is uh, the healing of the nations, you know, so to speak. And you, you, you learn that the most from visiting all these different places, which actually got my mind on prohibition. And lately, uh, prohibition's been just... You know, I mean, alcohol prohibition. Of course, we still we're still dealing with marijuana prohibition, but alcohol prohibition has been in the news a lot. The uh, Ken Burns special on PBS, obviously, uh, new season of Boardwalk Empire, and all. I mean, it all points to the futility of prohibition. All these shows show how inevitable, you know, corruption and all of these things that come with prohibition, all these bad things are a direct result of the prohibition and not the actual thing you're trying to prohibit because alcohol in and of itself is f- far more dangerous than marijuana and yet they realized that they had made a mistake you know the noble experiment you know but it's a failed experiment and it just seems to be pounding people in the head over and over with the fact that you know and the correlation to marijuana prohibition and really all drug prohibition but marijuana in particular because so many millions of people around the world consume marijuana and many of them consume it in places where they they could be killed for it they could be hung they could be in a firing squad they could lose their family and they still continue to consume it because they love it and uh you know it works for them so uh i don't know you know the the ken burns thing was really good and it shows you very easily um i'm here with my producer uh, mike hughes mike did you get to catch any of that at all uh, yeah, well, I mean, basically, I think uh, Leap, which is uh, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, they came out yeah. and said, this is, you know, this Ken Burns documentary, it's Prohibition, and it focuses on that 
you know, period or surrounding the 18th Amendment to the Constitution. And uh, they're saying that we should take a lesson from this. Right. You can't impose morality through legislation. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely, you know, and and it only makes it worse. I mean, it makes it worse for the cops because they're you know they have to choose between you know actually enforcing the law or taking the kickbacks and the you know. Uh, bribes and, and stuff and then turning a blind eye to this you know distillery but busting that one and basically becoming a part of the problem yeah, I mean, it, it turns solution. otherwise law-abiding decent citizens into criminals you're criminalizing yeah. a segment of the population and that's what we're doing with marijuana prohibitions so. yeah it's also patently obvious and when you when you look at it and and another lesson from alcohol prohibition that i took from uh this and and earlier uh, investigation is that it, it's takes, it takes women to uh, actually remove prohibition. And that's what it did with alcohol. They, they were pivotal in, in, in making prohibition happen. And then just as pivotal, pivotal, if not more pivotal in making it uh, uh, repealed. And so uh, that's why things, uh, organizations like normal women's Alliance are so important and why if you're, Thinking about making donations to normal, uh, please do that. Please become a member. Put your name on the on the on the list and add to the coffers. And you know, not just on Facebook, but actual uh, money. You can give it to Normal Women's Alliance. You can give it to the Normal Pack, uh, Normal National. You can give it to your local Normal chapters, who all could use uh, that type of cash infusion. And I'm really only talking about what you can afford. If it's 25 bucks a month, you can afford that. You know, I, I, I hope you can. And if you can't, grow some weed and uh, you'll definitely be able to afford it. So there you um, go. here's another thing in the news uh, about alcohol. Uh, now, all these states are, are basically changing the law so they can raise the tax on alcohol to fund, you know, their coffers, right? Yeah, it's a really interesting thing that, uh, first of all, this Ken Burns film, the Prohibition film, comes out. And almost at the same time, the New York Times runs an article uh, saying that states are attempting to raise money, you know, because they're all uh, in, you know, they're all broke. broke. Every broke. state, yeah. they're all broke. They're looking for revenue sources. And one of the things that they're trying to do is raise the tax on alcohol and change the laws so it's easier to get alcohol and it costs more and that'll hopefully raise money. But of course, you know, to parallel this, there is that very much safer alternative to alcohol, which could also raise quite a bit of money and they they continue to ignore it. I think you're talking about marijuana. Right? I am talking about the marijuana. So the lesson is that they can legalize marijuana and tax the sales of marijuana like they do with alcohol. I mean that's no, not going to stop you from being able to produce your own marijuana. There's a lot of fear-mongering out there, a lot of anti-legalization. I'm, I'm anti-decriminalization. I, I believe in this or, and not that. What we want is free weed. We want freedom to grow it, freedom to smoke it, freedom to sell it. But you know, if you sell it, hey, if you got to pay a tax on the sale of a product that you produce – that's the American way. I don't. I mean, think, we live uh, in this country. We need that money for things like roads and schools and I infrastructure agree. stuff that you know we enjoy. We we want bridges, and we want bridges also not to crumble and fall to the ground. So we need revenue to continue to maintain these things to build new things. Absolutely. I think it's what well, the irony is that you know here Obama is trying to push this jobs bill, and there's all of these 
you know, thousands and thousands of potential jobs and actual jobs that have been created in places like Colorado and California where they are somewhat more free to create these jobs of bud tender, grower, uh, dispensary manager, dispensary worker, dispensary security, all these, all these jobs that are created, thousands and thousands of jobs could be in every state uh, thriving. And then I honestly believe that the use of prescription drugs, the use of alcohol, and the use of cigarettes would go down. And that, that to me, is something that would help society uh, all the better and create a more peaceful harmony and world for us. And all of these things, this prohibition of alcohol and these, this raising of taxes, all it is is just a daily reminder of the futility of the prohibition of marijuana. You know, so we want a free weed. We want you to grow it, but we want you to grow it without the fear of getting busted. That's what I want, and I've seen that around the world. People doing that, and that, and there needs to be much more of it. And so that's why I make this show free weed. And you are here for episode number eight of free weed. Uh, and we got we got political there in that opening. Yeah, a little got bit. A little, political. a little bit. You know, these stories kind of piss me off because it all seems so obvious to to anybody. You know who's a rational thinking person. And, and, and so I don't see how these politicians can just stare this stare in the face of this type of reality and not just see that, Hey, let's, let's consider legalizing marijuana and not laugh at this issue and actually approach it with a, you know, a reasonable stance. And uh, speaking of that, there's actually a really interesting story out of Arizona. One of their new, uh, pot clubs there got raided. We, we don't really have time to go into that now, but that story is up on HighTimes.com. You could read about it there. It's, it's really interesting what's going on out in Arizona. Yeah, yeah, that is very interesting. Uh, check that out at HighTimes.com. And we'll be back with Dr. Lester Grinspoon and a bunch of cultivation information. This is Piotage Phenomenal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. Did you know that more than 400,000 Americans were arrested last year for the possession of marijuana? People are being sentenced to up to 40 years for even standing beside a joint. Well, I think it is definitely time for you to help doing something towards this. To find out what you can do, just write normal. N-O-R-M-L. 1600 K Street Northwest, Washington, D.C., 2006. That's 1600 K Street Northwest, Washington, D.C., 2006. Help normal to help protect your rights. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody, uh, all the uh, listeners from Free Weed with Danny Danko. I am honored today to have Dr. Lester Grinspoon as a guest. And, uh, yeah, this man has been an inspiration to the entire uh, cannabis and marijuana legalization movement. And uh, in particular to me, a mentor as far as uh, all of his writings, the Associate uh, Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and also the author of uh, 
marijuana reconsidered in 1971 and marijuana, the forbidden medicine as well, or not the forbidden medicine. Is it? Yeah, it is the forbidden medicine. Marijuana, the forbidden medicine, 1993 was the first division. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Grinspoon, for appearing on the show. Um, It's a pleasure to talk to you, Danny. uh, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm, you know, even long before I ever worked for High Times Magazine, I cited your uh, papers and and books in quotes uh, in papers that I wrote for uh, college, and I know many, many, many other people have. And obviously, your your decades of uh, activism and and writing and research are just so tremendously appreciated. And I know that you. Um, you know, you got the award here from High Times Magazine uh, for a lifetime of achievement in Denver. Um, I just no, wanted. No, that wasn't Denver. That was uh, San Francisco. Uh, somewhere, yeah. Yeah, yeah, San Francisco. San Francisco right. right. Well, thank you for the kind comments, Danny. Well, I yeah, I I listed you in my book as well as one of the the my mentors, and I think that. Um, the work that you've done and, and many of the things that you've done is just so pivotal pivotal to to what's happened uh, in the marijuana activism world. Well, thank you very much. That's, yeah. uh, that's nice to hear. I hope it turns out to be true. <laughs> <laughs> well, or I should say I'm confident we're making great progress now that, uh, you know, for decades, you know, I predicted marijuana reconsidered in uh, – in the last chapter, in fact, it's a funny story. You know, Carl Sagan and I used to be the closest of friends, and we would read each other's manuscripts. And uh, he read uh, Marijuana Reconsidered as a manuscript, and he said, boy, I like this, but you made one big mistake, Lester. What was that? You said in the last chapter that Prohibition would be gone within 10 years. This was published in 71. <laughs> and he, I said, how long do you think? He said it'll be gone in two or three years at most. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and there I just sat waiting 10 years, 20 years. And now I think the whole thing is moving exponentially, despite the recalcitrant, obtuse position of the U.S. government. We're getting there. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it does seem inevitable at this point where it didn't always feel that way. I mean, obviously, Carl uh, Sagan felt that way, and you felt that way even in 1971. But um, here we are, you know, 40 years later, um, you know, we're still working on it, but it is inevitable. It does feel like we are on the cusp of major change. No question. You yeah. see, and I'll tell you why. You know, when when I first published uh, Marijuana the Food and Medicine, the first email I got about it, uh, got concerned and said, uh, accused me of being the kind of rascal who would write a book like this to use it as a Trojan horse to get legalization. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I sort of laughed at that, you know. I mean, you, it's though I had this Machiavellian mind, and I was determined to get uh, rid of the prohibition, and I would write a book about and this would do it. Well, you know, I don't laugh at that anymore. He was prescient as far as I'm concerned, because I think one of the reasons 
things are going as rapidly as they are now, despite the fact that the country is moving further to the, in a frightening way, moving further to the right, yet we're making progress. More states are considering uh, medical marijuana and so forth. And I think the reason, ultimately, is that as more people who, you know, had this cannabinophobia uncorrected by any data to the contrary, like a catechism, they have seen, many, so many have seen relatives or friends use it as a medicine with stunning results, and they say, and they see, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't cause them to dry up and blow away. I mean, they see that it's, uh, that it's a remarkably non-toxic substance, and they say to themselves, what's all the fuss about? So I think it has been an, a way of helping people to get to understand this to the point they can get beyond this ridiculous bias, which is sustained by the federal government that they've had all their lives. So I, I, uh, I had to reconsider what I thought of that first letter. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, yeah, maybe he's on to something, and maybe it's not as bad of a thing as maybe he thinks that it might be. I, um, I think in writing The Forbidden Medicine and in your research for that, you had a personal experience as well um, with marijuana as medicine, um, even in the 70s. Um, mm-hmm. With with your son, can you expand a little bit on that as well? Yeah, my oldest son, Danny, um, just a wonderful, wonderful young man, at age 10, developed acute lymphocytic leukemia. And uh, this, while it is not always fatal now with the kind of treatments we have available for it, it was then. And... Um, he got, you know, this is early in the history of cancer chemotherapeutics, and he got to the point where he had to take those that, uh, that caused enormous nausea and vomiting. It's a nausea you can feel right down to your toenails. It's just dreadful. And uh, he became, he suffered from anticipatory anxiety even weeks before he had to go for the next shot. I mean, he'd get through with one, and then he'd already be worrying about the, or, uh, you know, it, uh, it was awful. He could, he'd get the, the uh, chemotherapeutic, and it was a question of whether we could get him home fast enough so that he didn't vomit in the car. We had to, you know, stop it in traffic and so forth. And then he would sit, he would lie in his bed. Uh, we'd put a big bucket there the towel and uh, it was about eight hours he wouldn't vomit anything else but uh, he would have terrible dry heaves. he just hated to take the chemotherapeutic for that um, well then one day uh, Sidney Farber was the head of uh, Harvard Oncology when I was a student at Harvard and he was my professor of oncology and when Danny was diagnosed I went to Sydney and said would you take care of my, my son and he did but uh, this was in 1967, coincidentally, the very the same year that I started to start study marijuana, 67. And by about uh, 1970, he was just having these awful uh, experiences with chemotherapeutics. 
and uh, as I say, became very anxious about uh, getting them. When my wife and I, Betsy and I, were invited to a dinner party given by a fellow faculty member to the man who was going to take, a man by the name of Fry, William Fry, who was going to take the place of Sidney Farber, who was retiring as the uh, the uh, professor of long, uh, chief professor of oncology, and uh, Emil Fry, uh, and uh, he had uh, we met at dinner, and he had read um, at least uh, I don't know for sure, but he certainly knew the chapter that I wrote, the brief chapter on um, medicine, medicine uh, marijuana as a medicine in the 19th century, from the mid to the, uh, uh, and actually into the first decades of the the 20th century. It was prepared as an oral uh, solution that nobody seems to have known about. Like a tincture? It was a tincture. It was called Mm -hmm. a tincture of cannabis indica. And uh, he asked me, he said, I want to tell you a story and ask you a question. So he told me about a 17-year-old he had come from Houston, Texas, whom he was treating for acute lymphocytic leukemia, the same leukemia, who was getting to the point where he was becoming very surly and threatening not to take any more chemotherapy. He couldn't stand the nausea and vomiting. And each time it was really a, a very difficult job to persuade him to just relax and, and take it. He had to take it. This time he came into the uh, treatment room got up on the gurney, took the stuff, and sort of saluted people as he left and said, I'll see you in one or two or three weeks, whenever he was going to get. And they were absolutely amazed. This was not Jimmy they knew. Wow. So when he came in and did the same thing the next time, uh, Dr. Fry asked him, hey, Jimmy, what's what's with you? This is the same chemotherapy, the same medicine. He said, well, to tell you the truth, the last time and this time, I smoked a little bit of a joint 20 minutes uh, in the parking lot 20 minutes before I came in. Wow. And that does it. And uh, Emil Fry was astonished to have seen this. So he asked me that night, this was shortly before he he came and, uh, uh, tra- you know, moved to Boston to take up the new professorship. And uh, I said, well, of course, chemotherapeutics were not invented in the 19th century, but there's every reason to believe it was used very much for the treatment of nausea and vomiting, and one would suppose it would here. And on the way home, Betsy said to me in the car, she said, uh, uh, Lester, shouldn't we get hold of some uh, marijuana for Danny? Uh, Maybe Danny will react to it like Jimmy in Houston. And I, and uh, I'm ashamed to say this to the truth. I said to her, no, we can't do that, Betsy. It's illegal. <laughs> and, uh, and also, I don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody at the children's hospital. They're taking such great care of Danny. I, I just don't want to, uh, compromise that at all. And that was the end of it. I thought, well, the next time Danny was due for his, uh, chemotherapy, uh, you know, I would see my office is right near the children's hospital, so I'd walk over and meet Betsy and Danny in the treatment room, and it was usually a scene which was dominated by Danny's anxiety on his face, and that has already uh, spread to Betsy's, of course, and soon to mine. 
And uh, this time, this time, they were laughing and joking. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I was very puzzled. I said, hey, something's going on here. What? Finally, they let me in on a secret. Betsy drove up to the Wellesley High School parking lot and asked Danny's friend Mark if he could get him a, uh, a small amount of marijuana. And Mark, once he recovered from his <laughs> surprise, <laughs> Mrs. Grinspoon would be asking him to get a small amount of marijuana, came back in 10 or 15 minutes, and sure enough, she had a little bit. And she had never smoked. She wasn't going to do it, but Danny was comfortable smoking. He did it in the car. And then they walked in, and they were, as I described uh, just a minute ago. He got up on the gurney, he took the shot, and he got off, and, you know, the the doctor and the nurses were a surprise. No fuss, no, no uh, immediately feeling the nausea. He said to Betsy, hey, Mom, I noticed there's a, a, sub, a sub sandwich on Brookline Avenue. Could we get a sub on the way home? <laughs> wow. And then furthermore, he said, no, I don't want to go home. I want to go, I want to, go to school. Well, let me tell you, uh, and then I called uh, the people at uh, Children's Hospital. I said, look at I saw this with my own eyes when I got home. Betsy told me how, uh, that it, how it was on the way home from there and, and until I got home. I am not going to get in the way of his using marijuana the next time. And his attending doctor said, hey, but don't have him do it in the, uh, he was very interested. He was, he was kind of, he's my kind of doctor. He was curious. He said, uh, I, I want to see this. Uh, I, I, I've heard the story and I want to see, would, would you ask him to smoke in the treatment room? And I said, well, what about the nurses and the other people on the floor? He said, don't worry, I'll take care of them. So indeed, uh, Danny smoked right in the treatment room and with the same results. And to make a long story short, it's already too long. We never, I mean, we never had to deal with that again. Danny was very comfortable going in for his treatments from then on, and his family was so greatly relieved. It was very difficult for him, for us to see him suffering like that and for us to appreciate the uh, anticipatory anxiety. So, you know, it was at that time I said to myself, you know, this was in uh, 1972, and I said to myself, boy, uh, I've got to do something about this. Supposing there are other kids who are suffering like this. And it's then that I... <clears throat> started to pay attention, the only way I could learn anything was usually through letters uh, to magazines read by young people like Playboy. You'd ever once in a while get a, a letter about his a person using it as a medicine and, and describing a little bit of how useful it was. And then I finally got around to writing the book in, uh, in starting in uh, uh, 1990 or 91. Wow. Well, that is really an amazing story, and I know you have um, a lot of amazing stories to tell, and I have some subjects here that I wanted to discuss with you, including um, autism, including uh, the strain uh, name that you, you've had a strain named after you, um, also the John Lennon deportation hearings, 
But most important, <laughs> this is all in yeah. ten minutes, Danny. <laughs> no, no, no. These are things. Uh, hopefully, you'll come back and be on the show again to talk about these things. I just wanted people to know uh, that these were things that we have on the list of things to talk about. But I really wanted to focus right now, if I only have another five or ten minutes with you, on the pharmaceuticalization of marijuana and the the whole subject matter of um, that phrase, which I th- I'm pretty sure you coined this phrase, the pharmaceuticalization I did, I did, I did. of marijuana. Uh, a, and lot so of, I, a lot of years ago, I yeah. first began to be concerned about uh, the way that Big Pharma was going to try and, uh, and take this over. And um, I'm very concerned about it now because, uh, you know, about, I would guess, I can't tell you exactly, about three months ago in the Federal Register, the DEA uh, published uh, what they intended to do about uh, marijuana. They were going to, as these companies, these groups came up, with understanding that natural uh, occurring uh, cannabinoids, that is, in the plant, they were going to make them available to the pharmaceutical companies, and they would be legal as providing they were in pharmaceutical products. Now, you see, I had some experience with this because I was pressing the government in the 1980s to do something about this, as, as were other people. And they came up in 1985. They supported a small company, a pharmaceutical company, I don't know if it even exists, by the name of Unison. And uh, Unison made, uh, and the government, by 70% of the support for the development of Dronabinol, which is what this company was working on, a synthetic uh, uh, tetrahydrocannabinol. It's the same 21 carbon molecule you find in the grass uh, you may use, Danny. It's exactly the same molecule. <laughs> but they knew it couldn't be sold if it was in Schedule 1. So they moved THC in, in, in what was then called Marinol to Schedule 2. So, in other words, you could take the THC if it were made by this pharmaceutical company. It's long since been sold to other com- another company and then another one. Um, if you, if you could buy it legally if it were in a pharmaceutical product, but, of course, you could be arrested if you used it or bought it or what have you outside of that. Now, the... Uh, you know, in fact, I was so concerned about this. I had bought some stock in Unison when I heard they were going to, they were going to develop a, uh, a cannabi- some kind of cannabinoid for use in medicine. And I said to Betsy, I said, uh, when when it was clear that I was going ahead with this book and uh, and I was going to write about cannabinol, uh, I said I've got to sell. We've got to sell that stock because I don't want to have a conflict of interest. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. talking about Unidin or Marinol in a book I published. Well, as it turns out, you know, there's you you will never. I will put it this way: in my experience, I've I've met a number of people who have had an opportunity to use Marinol and to use smoke marijuana, mm-hmm. and there's no question, hands down, which comes out on top. So it, it wasn't a great, although, you know, the, the revenues from it uh, um, amount to millions and millions of dollars, because 
people use it who are afraid or don't any, know anything about using the plant. Mm-hmm. But in any event, uh, you know, I when I read that in the Federal Register, that they're now going to allow, let's say, if a company, uh, if some researchers uh, prove what we already know, that cannabidiol is very useful as a medicine and mm-hmm. doesn't have the same intoxicating properties, indeed it's even anti-intoxicant, uh, then they're going to allow it to be sold. As, and any others that come up that are found naturally in the plant can now be, as long as they're incorporated into a pharmaceutical product, you will be able to get them. And it seems to me that this is just another step in that direction. We're going to uh, continue to put the pressure on this, uh, you know, making this uh, drug continue to be prohibited, except for uh, some states that have... uh, But the federal government, as far as the federal government is concerned, all the things that... uh, that uh, the government says are true, uh, they really believe. So, you know, it strikes me that it's it's a way of acknowledging uh, sub rosa that marijuana has medicinal properties, something the government will not acknowledge, but we want it to be handled through the pharmaceutical companies, and we're going to get time to do that. And the only way the pharmaceutical companies are going to be able to sell those products, because at least uh, to the extent that they use things that are in plant marijuana, they can't make them any better than the way nature has made them. So they're going to have tough. They're going to have a tough economic uh, proposition there. And furthermore. You know, most drug, new drugs uh, that are developed by pharmaceutical companies, all the, all the, and sometimes it costs hundreds of millions of dollars to get them through all the, the testing phase one, phase two, and so forth. Um, in this case, NIDA, just like the federal government through the National Cancer Institute and the National Institute of Health, supported units in them. NIDA is now turning from devoting its funds to exclusively to people and projects that will hopefully prove that marijuana, you know, prove the toxicity that should underlay this. So so far, they haven't been able to do it, of course, but they they believe they were. Now you can get NIDA funds if you're looking at, you're doing bench research on some... uh, uh, why these in uh, uh, natural marijuana. Now, this will mean if these drug companies, while a lot of that support is coming from the government indirectly through this kind of NIDA research, nevertheless, they want to make a killing on these drugs as they introduce them, like GW Pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. did when it introduced the liquid marijuana known as Sativex, mm-hmm. which will be in this country in a another year, I would imagine, Uh, if they're going to make a killing on this, it has to be with people who are afraid of the legal consequences and will buy it as a pharmaceutical property. Otherwise, it isn't going to, you know, smoke marijuana is the gold standard in medicine. Yeah. Uh, Maybe you say vaporized, but some kind of inhaled marijuana or even ingested. These are the gold standards. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not confident they're going to beat that at all. 
and they're certainly not going to get anywhere if it's legal, perfectly legal, for you and for me and for anybody to buy it or to grow it or to get it in, you know, not to have any obstacles in the path of our getting this as a medicine. So that worries me because it's kind of like the federal government and the pharmaceutical companies are doing a dance. Uh, the, the government is saying, look, uh, we're going to keep it illegal so you guys, it'll be a successful product and, uh, and uh, you guys are going to continue to give lots of money to Partnership for a Drug-Free America and so <laughs> forth and so on to help us to keep it illegal. I don't want to go any further with this now because it would take to, but there are other reasons to consider why the government is doing this, but that could be another another time. Yeah, well, absolutely, and I'm hoping to have you on another time because um, there's so much we can discuss. We are here on uh, High Times Presents Free Weed with Danny Danko with Dr. Lester Grinspoon right now. Um, if you want to get in touch with uh, Dr. Grinspoon, check out marijuana-uses.com. All of the information is there. There's a blog. There's uh, stuff you can read. There's ways you can contribute and tell your story, um, which is originally, I guess, how Carl Sagan, um, you know, contributed as Mr. X. Too bad he contributed that to my book. <laughs> yeah. When I asked him for, but it's marijuana hyphen uses. Marijuana hyphen. Yeah. Marijuana hyphen uses dot com. Yeah. Um, that's the website. And um, I, I'm just uh, I'm amazed and, and excited that you would agree to be on the show. And it's very it's very uh, just humbling to me that you would appear on this because you've been such a mentor for me. And, um, you know, I definitely want to encourage people to check out the show. I hope that you would uh, maybe consider coming back on and talking about maybe the the John Lennon deportation hearings that had to do with hashish and marijuana. Um, I'll be glad to, Danny. Talk it's about, always, a, pla- always uh, a pleasure to do something with you. Talk about marijuana uh, for autism, which I think you you are on the cutting edge of the, uh, the marijuana for autism situation that's going on. Uh, also PTSD for uh, the veterans that are coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan and now all these other secret places, Yemen or wherever else, <laughs> wherever else they might be doing what they, they do. Um, and also just enhancement, marijuana enhancement. That's one of the things that I learned from you that, um, that really sort of, uh, I guess, expanded my understanding of the greatness of cannabis because yes, there's the medicinal aspects and yes, there's the recreational and the, you know, all these wonderful things, but then just the enhancement of a movie or of a experience or a, a trip or to a the park or a capacity or, uh, you know, <laughs> like writing or sex or, or writing. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or <laughs> you know, the appreciation of a painting or, or music, right. a Beatles song or, uh, uh, you know, a Bob Dylan song or whatever it might be. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I hope you'll come on again because there's so much more that we could discuss. Um, and so, and I hope the best uh, for you and your family. Uh, and thank you very much, Dr. Grinspoon, for uh, appearing on Free Weed. I really appreciate it. Thank you very it's much. It's always a pleasure to do something with you, Danny. You do good work, and I'm appreciative. Thanks very much. Thank you, sir. Right on. Bye bye. 
The High Times Medical Cannabis Cup is coming to Detroit on October 15th and 16th. That's right. The world's premier medical marijuana competition will be in Motown to celebrate the cannabis economy of the Great Lakes State. It's a two-day expo at Birch Warehouse Theater, showcasing the movers and shakers of the Michigan medical marijuana industry and the merchandise that makes the machine go. Be there for an amazing Saturday night VIP party featuring top musical performances and special guests. Best of all, High Times will award the Medical Cannabis Cup for top indicas, sativas, hybrids, concentrates, and edibles entered by Michigan's dispensaries and collectives. Come to Birch Warehouse Theater on October 15 and 16. Visit MedCanCup.com for all the details. Celebrate cannabis in Michigan. Celebrate the resurgence of Detroit. Be part of the growing cannabis community. All right, welcome back. Yeah, amazing, uh, amazing conversation with uh, Dr. Lester Grinspoon, and uh, look forward to having him on the show again as well because uh, there's so much to discuss, uh, so many interesting facets to his life uh, in cannabis and just in general. So uh, we will definitely have him back on a future episode for sure. Now we're going to get into some cultivation info, and we left off with uh, harvesting, drying, and curing last time, so I'm going to go ahead and talk about storage. Um, a lot of growers don't get this one right, or a lot of uh, you know people in general that use their plastic baggies that they get from the dealer. You definitely do not want to carry around your weed in your pocket in a plastic baggie. This is uh, going to really destroy the potency level. It's going to destroy the aesthetics uh get it's going to lose a lot of its flavor a lot of its odor and you know you're going to be uh exposing that odor as well so exposing yourself uh in case uh you know in case you're in a situation where you can't smell like a skunk uh so storage is important uh even short term you want to use glass jars opaque glass jars are ideal um i've seen some nice dark colored uh, opaque jars that work perfectly. They don't let light in. Um, they don't let air in. And they basically keep your buds in kind of a suspended state of perfectly cured for, for a pretty long time, several months. Um, as far as longer-term storage or storage of larger amounts, um, you know, food sealer bags work great. I don't recommend the fridge or the freezer um, for that sort of thing um, just because the temperatures fluctuate and there's some some... You know, just all kinds of uh, weird issues with uh, humidity and moisture uh, inside and outside, either jars or food sealer bags when you're working with a freezer or a fridge. So a cool, dark place, a nice closet away from, you know, a, a high up shelf that the kids can't get to, no, nobody can, uh, can reach. And especially light is important, light tight, because... Um, if you keep exposing your buds to light, the THC will degrade. Uh, if you have it not in a glass jar, you've got it in a, uh, you know, out in the open, it will dry out very quickly. And uh, when it dries out like that, it really, really, it affects the, the aesthetic, you know, the flavor, the, the taste, the odor, but it also does diminish the high. So treat your buds nice. Uh, definitely store them properly. I have a video actually uh, on HighTimes.com. It, uh, it's called "How to Store Your Pot," and uh, it gets into pretty good detail. It's got a lot, of, a lot of views apparently, right, Mike? A hundred thousand views or something? Yeah, we, That's pretty we put that up in January, and it uh, has a hundred thousand views. So I guess people are interested in the proper pot storage technique. Yeah, well, you know, because a lot of times you don't get it in the in the container. 
uh, in the ideal container. You know, typically, uh, if you're not growing it your own, your own, you're getting plastic baggies, and that's just no way to store your pot. Uh, there's a, there's some good ones out there, some good sealable uh, odor locking plastic bags, but that's that's really not ideal for uh, for storage purposes. So. Yeah, but definitely check that video out on HighTimes.com. It's a how-to store your pot. I think that might be the first video project that you and I worked on together. Wow! Earlier wow. this year. Well, the uh, first of so many yeah. because we've done a, we've done we've gotten done better since, since then. The video is <laughs> not great, but the information is top-notch. So go go check that out. Right on, right on. Well, I believe that takes us into our strain of the week, uh, which. This week is Vortex from TGA, Team Green Avenger, and Subcool Seeds. Now, this strain is incredible. It actually uh, recently won first place out at the uh, uh, San Fran Cup, I believe, in, in, in the sativa category. Uh, and a sativa that flowers in eight weeks is great. Um, this was his follow, uh, Subcool's follow-up to Jack the Ripper, which is a really incredible... Uh, uh, Jack Harrer related, Jack's Cleaner related strain that he had. Um, and for Vortex, he told me he actually crossed his Apollo 13 with his uh, Space Queen, uh, which ends up really producing an incredible, uh, incredible plant with two distinct phenos, phenotypes uh, in the seeds. So there's an Apollo 13 dominant one that he calls Dynamo. That one finishes even sooner, 58 days. And then there's the Space Queen dominant pheno, which uh, Subcool calls Cosmos. That one takes a little bit uh, longer, but it gets you larger buds and uh, a really good fruity taste uh, with some sour undertones and stuff. Subcool's really into that uh, kind of almost rotten fruit uh, angle uh, that's so popular in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, another cool thing about him as a breeder is he, he works uh, really a lot on the medicinal properties. Um, so Vortex in particular, uh, he, he, he tells me, and I've, I've uh, definitely witnessed, will produce uh, the munchies. So if people are suffering from nausea or otherwise unable to eat, Vortex is definitely the strain for you. Uh, as far as a description of the, of the flavor, um, Subcool told me it tastes like sour fruit and pineapple or mango candy, and all of those things I think apply. It's very, very fruity, very sweet, uh, with just that hint at the end of a little bit of sour uh, um, candy kind of flavor. So really good, high pistil-to-leaf ratio, uh, very easy to trim, uh, not a lot of leaf on the buds, so really nice for... Uh, you know, a lot of resin production on the, a really good calyx to leaf ratio. So, yeah, uh, in the vaporizer, actually, in the volcano, the vortex is just absolutely like, you know, like eating a Skittle or something. It's really flavorful and really amazing. So, and, and a very complex and sort of rewarding smoke that you get from that. So, I highly recommend the vortex. Uh, you can check out tgagenetics.com. That's TGA. It stands for Team Green Avenger Genetics. That's Subcool and Miss Jill's home online. Um, you can check out the Vortex and all their other strains there. Um, we're looking to get uh, seed sponsor eventually, and so uh, hopefully we'll be able to direct you to where you can actually uh, purchase those seeds and grow them out for yourself because, like I said, either one of those phenos are both really good keepers from other plants that you can continue to take clones and fill your garden up with time and time again. Um, so that is our strain of the week, the Vortex. If you want to check it out online, we've got that at hightimes.com as well right now. 
uh, we're running the strain of the week there in conjunction with the podcast and our newsletter. So that's the other thing I want to mention. Uh, it's very easy to subscribe to the newsletter. You just go to hightimes.com and in the top right corner, there's, it just says subscribe to the newsletter. You get a lot of pretty cool stuff, uh, on the week. It's on a weekly basis. So if the monthly magazine and the website's not enough, you can get this newsletter. We've got news, information, strain of the week, uh, all kinds of stuff about our upcoming events. Of course, we've got Detroit Cannabis Cup coming up October 15th and 16th in Detroit, the Medical Cannabis Cup. And uh, then we have Amsterdam. We have the November Amsterdam Cannabis Cup. This year is the 24th year of that, and it's definitely on. Don't believe the hype. Don't believe what you've heard. Coffee shops, the only coffee shops that are even closing, even remotely close to being closed are very close to the borders of Germany and Belgium and nowhere near Amsterdam proper. So uh, the coffee shops that you know and love in the city of Amsterdam and, you know, all around Utrecht and, and uh, all those areas like the Hague, all those shops still exist. They're thriving. They're entering the cup in Amsterdam. We've got amazing musical guests, including be real from Cypress Hill. Uh, I'm, we're hoping we, MF Doom. Uh, we've got we've got some pretty interesting uh, things going on with that. But uh, with no further ado, why don't we get into the Dear Danko? Some of these grow questions that we get on Twitter. We get those. Uh, you can either tweet me at Danny Danko, or you can put the uh, the hashtag Free Weed, which uh, we'd love to see trending in the top trending items. So that's great, Free Weed. Uh, and you can send them to me and I'll try to answer them. You know, if I don't answer them on the show, I'll answer them in print or online. But uh, I'd love to answer all these questions and help people with their problems. So, uh, Mike, what do we got out there? Yeah, let's get into some questions from Twitter. Uh, Chief and Bong asks or states he is using CFLs. That's a uh, compact fluorescent lights. Compact fluorescence, yeah. And uh, he wants to know how small of a space would I need to grow one or two plants? Also, uh, how long would the plants need to grow for? All right. Well, uh, the beauty of compact fluorescence is that they really produce very little heat. So you can have them in a very confined space. And uh, basically, we call this micro-growing. You know, there's forums and stuff out there that, where people have really gotten down to the several-inch level. You know, We're talking you know, 25 by 25-inch boxes where they've actually been able to produce buds with those compact fluorescents. Um, the key is just management of the plant itself. Uh, the plant wants to grow towards the light. Anything you do to manipulate the plant in order to make a level canopy uh, and keep it low, you know, a lot, of, uh, a lot of training to keep the plant low in those type of spaces. But compact fluorescents work great for that. And uh, like I said, you can get down to two-by-two-foot boxes uh, where people are, are producing marijuana. Now, you're going to want a little more space than that, but that is pretty much the minimum, and maybe even smaller. I mean, I know people uh, are really pushing the limits of micro-growing and producing, you know, ounces of pot in these small spaces. So uh, that would be the answer to the first part. The second part is how long would it take? Well, if you're growing from clone, you've got, uh, you know, a very short vegetative time, no more than five days in that tiny space. Uh, and then beyond that, you have the flowering time of the strain you, you planted. So typically right around eight weeks uh, to, so I would factor in if you're growing from seed about three months and if you're growing from clone about uh, two and a half months and you can produce pot in that space. 
So thanks a lot. All right, Chief and Bong. Hopefully that Chief helps. And, bong. and now we got Slangin' Pretzels. I like that. Slangin' that Pretzels. Name. Slangin' nice. Pretzels. Nice name. I love Dude. pretzels. Yeah. Uh, Slang and Pretzels on Twitter asks, I was transplanting my seedling, and I accidentally knocked the leaf that was starting to grow. Will the roots still be able to grow? And knocked the huh. leaf. I'm not sure. Uh, I think what they, what they must mean is that they damaged the growing leaf and shoot that was uh, uh, growing there. And basically that's a question of how much damage you've done because if there's still green there – and you plant that and there's roots, it will turn out to survive in the, under the right conditions. But if you've completely severed the whole growing top uh, completely, it'd probably be, probably be very difficult to bring that one back to life. Um, I always recommend people be very gentle when you're doing these transplanting and, and moving of any young plants because they're, they're very uh, you know, sensitive and brittle and, and you got to be careful when you move them. But uh, hopefully you haven't knocked off enough of, to actually kill the plant and it will, it, it, it's a very resilient plant. And if it, under the right conditions, if there is greenery there and it can bounce back, it will bounce back just as healthy and strong as before. All right. Slang and pretzels, um, real Petey sneak. And I think this is at least the second, uh, real Petey sneak question that we have fielded here on free weed, but uh, real Petey sneak on Twitter. Uh, what kind of process is involved in the crossing and breeding of strains? Is it easy to create your own weed? Huh. Well, no, it's definitely not easy. I mean, you can create mediocre weed all day long, but um, the hard part is the choosing process, the selection process. You really have to grow out a lot of seeds in order to pick the best ones to breed from. Uh, the strongest growing phenotypes, the most resistant to pests, and all of those desirable traits that you're looking for. So uh, the process is a little more complicated that I can get into. We will do breeding actually as a topic in on a future show. Um, but basically, to, to make, keep it simple, male pollen is placed on a female growing female flower and thus seeding it and creating seeds within that female flower that are going to be uh, the result of the cross of that male and that female. That's the simplest way to put it. Uh, it's a little more complicated. Uh, a lot of it is involved in um, basically it's as simple as going back and remembering about Mendel's pea pods and the XX and the XY and the uh, choosing for desirable traits. And so cannabis is very, uh, very malleable in that way that you can work with because there, there's a good variety uh, between indicas and sativas and even, of course, ruderalis and afghanica. There's so much uh, genetic diversity that you can produce new strains, but uh, it requires a, a good understanding of genetics uh, and breeding. So I'd highly recommend getting a, a book like uh, Cannabis Botany or um, something about specifically about breeding and learn about that. And, you know, learn about uh, asexual propagation as well. You need to understand cloning. You need to understand uh, tissue culture. There's a lot of plant biology that you need uh, in order to make your own strain. But it's not easy, but it's possible. And so if you do pay your dues and do the work, you, you can create an amazing strain. And uh, that's, that's the answer to your question. Real PD sneak. All right. And, uh, you know, once again, these are all questions from Twitter. You could reach us at Danny Danko. 
or at Mike Hughes underscore. Questions can be sent there. Also, uh, the free weed uh, tag is hashtag, hashtag free, weed. free weed. Great yeah. place to put We'd your love questions. Love to see that trending. Uh, you know, we get tons of response out there on Twitter. I've got twelve thousand plus. Uh, followers there, and so. I'm up to twelve. So that's that's nice. Awesome. <laughs> All yeah. right, so definitely so follow a, Mike. Yeah, follow or, Mike or on don't. Twitter. It doesn't really uh, matter. And you can ask questions directly to him, and then uh, they won't get lost in my timeline of, of oh, all but, my yeah, many you many, so thousands many thousands of thousands uh, of followers. Of right. followers. <laughs> Moving right along, uh, Herb is your friend. Wants to know, oh, or actually just says, "Sup, Danko? Uh, you coming to Los Angeles anytime soon?" Oh, well, Herb, uh, that's a wonderful place for a segue to promote <laughs> our Los Angeles yes, as it turns Medical out. Marijuana Cannabis Cup. Uh, High Times will be in Los Angeles for the first time really doing uh, a cup in that city, February 18th and 19th. And we have an incredible venue, the L.A. City Center. Which I, don't, I, I don't think this has even been announced yet. This is, this inside, is information inside information on free weed. We have not even announced it. I don't think tickets are even for sale yet. But uh, I will keep you posted on that. But we do have a venue and a date, February 18th and 19th, Los Angeles, L.A. City Center, Cannabis, Medical Cannabis Cup. You heard it here first, folks. I mean, uh, we are coming to L.A. That's very exciting. Start up the vaporizers. Probably going to get some. Start growing the strains you want to enter. I believe there will probably be some kush out there. There will be (laughs) a lot of kush. Southern California is the home of the kush. OG Kush, Larry Kush, Pussy Kush, uh, the SFV Kush, the Burmese Kush. <laughs> I could go on and on. You could someone's go on. making a, up a Kush right now as we speak. They are. And it might be real Petey Sneak creating his own Kush. I hope kush. so. I hope so. <laughs> Enter the cup and, uh, you know, earn your chance for glory in, in the cannabis world and spread the love, spread the good genetics, and spread the seeds. All right. And you know what? We got to get this in. Our friend, our buddy, been with us uh, from the beginning, asking questions uh, doggedly. Jake Baked 420. Uh, let's get another one in from him. What do you okay. say? Jake Baked 420. Jake Baked 420. We promised you last time. He's a big I supporter. It. I think I said last time if he got another question on air, we'd send him a hat. Sweet. We don't actually have hats, so that was sort of. Well, let's send him a shirt. We'll send him something. All right. We'll send him something, but. Thanks, Jake Big 420 The question is, what is your favorite medical edible? Wow. Favorite medical edible. Well, yeesh. I have to say uh, the chocolate bars from my man Chris Bliss have always <laughs> uh, done the job for me. Uh, I'm not a huge edible guy, but uh, I, there's a few. I, I can't just mention one. I, I love the, uh, uh, the Chiba Chews that we recently uh, tasted out in Denver. Those are amazing and quite potent. Uh, I love uh, the twirling hippie uh, confections made by the cheesecake lady out there in Denver. Um, you know, all the stuff. I mean, over the years, there's been the Tainted, the Bliss, the uh, Beyond Bomb, you know, all of these great products. I, I, I'm not a huge edibles guy, but when, when I do get a good edible, like, uh, I don't know, Mike, did you, you didn't try those, uh, that baklava that was out in San Francisco. Yeah, that was wiping people out. The staff was <laughs> dropping like yeah, flies with that uh, baklava. I mean, for some reason, I just <laughs> never, yeah, the, that baklava was like dangerous, but so good. I think that's part of the problem sometimes is people have developed, uh, you know, the flavors 
and the potency levels to such a, a level where you know you really have to be careful how much you ingest of those. But yes, and they're so tasty, you want to keep eating them. So you know, always eat edibles. Don't eat them on an empty stomach unless you really want to feel it because uh, you know they can they can really crush you sometimes. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, Jake Big420. Keep them coming, man. We'll start sending you stuff. <laughs> the shirts off our backs, the yeah. hats off our heads. Um, well, that wraps up the uh, the Dear Danko section. All right. Well, that, that means uh, we will be back uh, with our cultivation interview. That does mean that. All right. Back after this. Stick around. Hey, amigos, Nico Escondido, cultivation editor of High Times Magazine here. Are you tired of searching textbooks to answer one little grow question? Do your eyes hurt from hours in the grow room under those grow lamps? The last thing you want to do is pick up a book and start reading. Well, we have the solution. I'm proud to introduce to you High Times Presents Nico Escondido's Grow Like a Pro DVD with an easily searchable menu of over 60 DVD chapters covering indoor, greenhouse, and outdoor cultivation. All shot in HD, this unprecedented, never-seen-before footage of America's top medical marijuana production facilities includes all the tips and tricks you need to get growing. For more information or to buy this DVD, check out www.headshop.hightimes.com. All right, we are back now for our cultivation interview segment. Uh, I'm talking with an, uh, a, a friend Iggs from Migs, actually that's what we call him, or the beard, um, my friend from Maine. He is the proprietor of HomegrowDepot.com and Maine Indoor Garden Supply. Uh, longtime patient and uh, provider for himself and uh, up there, and I guess since the law has passed, welcome to the show. Hey Dan, it's good to be here. All right. Well, um, you know, I guess Maine has. Uh, kind of the distinction of being a state on the East Coast with pretty much the the best laws that we have out here on the East Coast comparatively to, let's say, California or Colorado. Uh, mm. Can you fill our uh, listeners in on what the actual law is in the state of Maine? Well, it's it's a little bit confusing right now. I've actually heard different opinions on the law from different attorneys, but uh, after speaking with uh, Alicia Melnick from the Maine Civil Liberties Union, who had a lot to do with our new law of LD 1296, the law states that a patient can grow six harvestable mature plants, and uh, so far no limit on the vegetative cycle. Uh, well, that's you could also possess up to two and a half ounces at a time. There's some rumors that. It's up to five ounces per patient, but that's, I guess, untrue. So. Does that mean you can grow as many vegetative plants as you want? Male, right male now, plants? yes. The Department of Health and Human Services is uh, working on the rules for what is known as LD-1296, uh, the amendment to what the citizens or what the government act eventually passed. Well, um, I guess um, one thing you guys share – law-wise with everybody else is plant limits and i think that that's something we're kind yeah. of in the process of dealing with but what 
what would you say as far as plant limits? What's the best way to get the most out of every plant? Um, you've seen all the equipment. You've had the opportunity to test a lot the, of this stuff. I guess at the end of the day, it's just making sure you're giving the plant the exact environment that it wants. Not too high humidity, not too low. Uh, in Maine and other parts of the country, we have uh, botrytis. So especially in the later months of flowering, you want to keep that uh, the relative humidity in your room at about 50%. And, uh, you know, temperature in the low 70s is very good. Anything above that starts running issues with spider mites. But, again, if you're running CO2, you want to compensate with adding your temperature a little, increasing your temperature as well. Hotter, hotter air. A little bit harder. And you could suffocate the spider mites with CO2 as well. So You mean... Uh, way high levels if of you CO2. Do way high levels of You're CO2. talking over 2,000 parts per million? Yeah, but now I'm getting what? a little bit off subject there. But That's all right. If you just keep a clean room and um, are very careful with who you allow into your growth space, especially if they're growers, uh, you shouldn't have to worry about it. Okay, well, you, you also mentioned botrytis or uh, you know fusarium and all the different molds and things. Um, as a someone who's you know worked in the grow shops, What's a product that you recommend for an indoor grower to deal with things like powdery mildew or uh, – Those copper sprays out there is pretty good. Are you talking about uh, burning sulfur or is that a, uh, a, a Burning sulfur, um, I've only used that to – yeah, I've used that for spidery mildew and to mess with spider mites. But that's a little bit tricky because you got to have – your ventilation shut off for a while and you have to time it really well it's it's worth doing um overall you could just use sprays but keeping the humidity in the in the room down is really the way to do it so dehumidifier yeah, especially if you're a beginner process. grower it's you don't want to try to correct a problem you might as well just prevent it from happening right okay well as far as strains and, and like, it's w- and it, you can make your buds gross if you burn the sulfur for too long and yeah, it actually it's pretty it ends toxic up affecting, for people too, you know. So. It ends up affecting the flavor of the bud, and and it could be harmful for I've medical patients. I've always been really, you know, cautious when I'm using with that stuff. So I've never had it personally affect it, but I have heard of it affecting the flavor. Yeah, right. I've never smoked any bud that tasted like as a patient, you know, that tasted now, like uh, sulfur. What strains would you say, as far as East Coast or, uh, you know, from the Northeast area, what are the popular strains and what do the patients return, you know, and say, These, this is what works for me? Well, patients overall, they're going by what they're hearing from doctors and from what limited new, uh, information there is out there for them. So you hear a lot of requests for strains like Herculum or a high CBD strains. Harlequin, right? Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah Harlequin. Yep. Yeah. And, um, but, but at the end of the day, um, what I find with my, you know, my friends who are also patients, um, some with, you know, really, really rough diseases, uh, you know, they, they want a medicine to help them just deal with the pain. So a lot of them like Chemdog, for instance, are real skunky varieties and, uh, and strawberry cough is also really a favorite. Interesting. Well, um, as somebody who also understands... But neither one of those have high CBDs. So, right, right. But know. they're high THC. Yeah, they are yeah. high THC, yeah. 
uh, as somebody who sells equipment for growing, um, we've seen a lot of advances in LED lighting, LED lighting, mm-hmm. and uh, I think you know the consensus it seems to be is that they're best for supplemental lighting. And I found <coughs> in vegetative, especially in the vegetative stage, they keep the uh, internodes very short and stout. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as long as they're u- being used supplementally to other grow lights. I, yeah. Um, how do you feel about the whole LED uh, phenomenon going on? Well, I do use them. I use them as a supplemental light, but sometimes I wonder if the metal highlight bulb I'm burning with it is a supplemental light. It, it's hard for me to say. I, it's I'll like use, almost they complement each other. Yeah. When I have a three, when I have a LED board that draws, when I ran an LED board. Well, the best one I've used is a Soul LED. It's seven different spectrums, and it has a infrared light, which accounts for some of that really short internodal space, which it produces PFR phytochromes, which is some nerdy plant shit I don't really fully understand anyway, but um, <laughs> it accounts for short internodal space. Um, when I use that, the plants finished fast, or just as fast as they did under the HIDs. The buds were a lot denser, but it didn't produce overall as much yield as the 1,000. But I was running a bore that was, that pulls, I think it's like 430 watts. And it definitely did at least as good as a 6. But when I run it along with a 400-watt MHL, or even better, a 600-watt um, HPS conversion MHL, it, the, it way blew the 1,000 out of the water. And it still drew less than 1,000 watts. So... Well, that's interesting. Um, as far as let's say uh, in the later flowering stages, do you what, what do you, how do you feel about flushing plants before harvest, and also when to harvest, and uh, maybe a, a little bit about the curing process? Well, if, if you're feeding the plants uh, an organic regimen, you don't really need to worry about flushing that much unless you're just polluting them with stuff. I don't know. I don't really sweated. I, f- I flush the plants regularly throughout their feeding cycle with a compost tea with high minerals and enzymes in it. Um, so, I, you know, you, I pretty much keep flushing throughout the plant's entire life cycle. So at the end of the life, it, it's not really that important. I have in the, in my, uh, when I first started growing and I was using, um, uh, chemical products I was using, uh, I would definitely flush for two weeks and sometimes use a product like Final Phase or, you know, whatever's out there, Clarex or whatever have you, you know. Right. Okay. And, and well, make sure, just make sure that the plants like, taste like plants and not like chem. <laughs> you now, know? do you harvest based on, you know, how many days or weeks it's been or do you... No, I look at the plant and I know when it's ready to harvest and I go from there. But if you're using the same genetics and you're in the same environment, that starts to be a consistent time, so... So yeah, you go by the plant. You could look at you just look at the plant. And you can tell when, once it starts to mature. You know the the color of the pistons start to change and the buds close up. And what about uh, the harvesting process itself? Uh, cutting down the plants, trimming the plants, uh, drying and curing. Can you elaborate a little bit on that process in order to get some a product that's you know, medicinal well, quality. Uh, first, on the, la- on the last question, I think for a patient, it's important to realize that if you're going to start growing for yourself, it's going to take about three months from 
the start of, or from rooting a plant or seeding or rooting a seed to the time where you're going to start to cultivate. And then it could take, you know, four days to two weeks to dry that product. So it's important to space out your legal numbers if you're going to have a consistent amount. And in a lot of states, they don't allow enough plants to even meet the demand that for, for the allotted amount of cannabis that they're allowing the patients to have. Yeah, oh, man. Here goes another, uh, another oil dab. <laughs> but uh, what were you saying the last thing? Oh, just we're talking oh, about the, the cutting, curing. curing yeah. yeah, when to so, harvest, yeah, how when to the, harvest. Once the plant's done, uh, trim. I, I feel like a lot of people make a mistake in during the, this process, either harvesting early or uh, well, you know, don't, jarring don't. the bud too late or not jarring it at all. Um, mm. cure, you know, not curing, but just drying and then selling or whatever it might be. Yeah, you're the, that's your thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, once. What? Oh, uh, we're sorry for the the uh, noise in the background. We're just uh, we're taking care of some uh, some oil reserves issues. You'll set me up. <laughs> Um, so yeah, once the plant's done, trim it up, um, get all the leaves off of it and hang it, let it dry on a line works well. Make sure there's plenty of ventilation and, uh, the humidity in the room doesn't go above 70%. Uh, I like to put a dehumidifier in my space. Do you use fans and stuff? Oh yeah, you definitely have to have the air moving around it and perhaps like a good strong, um, blower to suction the air out of the room. Have it run through a carbon filter so you don't stink up your neighborhood. And that uh, is really the stinkiest time. That is the stinkiest think, time, especially so when you're trimming. Right? It, it's good to be in front of the carbon filter. Now, one of the things you mentioned was people in urban environments who are growing in a closet or whatever. If that if if that situation gets really stinky, maybe they could even do the trimming inside the closet that they grow in. Sure, or build another closet so that, like I said, there's only a limited amount of plants a person can grow, and you don't want to take up space that you can grow in and and, uh, to trim. It'd be even probably worth, because it's hard to grow enough to get the amount that most people need for their medicine, especially people treating, uh, using cannabis for treatment where they have to make um, concentrates like Phoenix Tears, for instance. Right. Well, you also you mentioned feeding the plants uh, compost tea and things like yeah. that. What what other uh, nutrient combos would you recommend well, during? You know, for I, some I, patients, you don't have to endorse a specific product, but no, I mean, during vegetative just, and flowering stages. For some patients, you know, it's a really hard. It's really hard to buy nutrients. It's expensive, especially living in Maine. You really don't need to pay for nutrients. You could go to the beach, collect seaweed, uh, spend money on bulk. Blackstrap molasses, a couple ear pumps, and you're good to rage. You know, so you're talking, about, of you're talking about brewing compost tea. Yeah, to brew compost but tea. But if people are collecting uh, seaweed, it's and, important and for them to, to rinse it off, right, with plain water. No. And get the salt I say no. out of it. No? You nope. say leave the salt? I say leave the salt because the salt has the perfect balance of minerals in it already. It's the same ratio huh. as in, okay. in your blood. Now, you, know? you would put the that seaweed into compost and let it cure. I would concentrate it. I would, let well, it cure I would with add, add water, compost. Crush it all up, add water. Uh-huh. It's good. I like to collect the dry seaweed. I mean, seaweed is a wonderful nutrient, sure. but a lot of times they recommend 
you know, re- removing a lot of the salt no, from I, it. But the I crush salt. it up right there in it, <coughs> add the blackstrap molasses to it, and um, you could add other things to it, but just to speed up the process, add your airstone, let that rage, and then you dilute that concentrate right. in, into, into by five water. times. So that's where the salt gets really diluted right there. Okay. Okay. Well, that's so, very But you still do that's... want some. I, I actually add sea salt to my soil. I blend it into the soil. There's a great book out there called Sea Energy Agriculture by Dr. Maynard Murray, which really started the entire micronutrient movement. I would highly suggest anyone into organic agriculture to read that. I mean, as someone who uh, owns a grow supply shop, you, you have to understand that a lot of nutrients are derived from sea salts. Of and, course. And I why mean, pay the top dollar shelf for all right. the stuff? Basically, <laughs> they're charging you money to dilute exactly. those salts for you right. when you can actually dilute them yourself. And, and there's, you know, right now, it's just not a time to be greedy, you know? So, yeah. We should all try to learn how to grow in a healthy way. And the compost tea thing is amazing too. I've always been a big proponent of that. So simple, so easy to do. There's so many great books out there. Those kits to brew it yourself are as simple yeah, as a Yeah, like Bouncy or a, something. It's a great product, but it's way overpriced. And well, what you're saying is soil. it's as simple as getting a, a, a you know bucket the right amount. Of yeah, uh, you know, I would also suggest going out into the woods, finding a place with where there aren't um, a lot of pine needles and and um, and then, especially if you find a few frogs, you know, some good soil, and dig a little bit below that seat, that uh, leaf level, and you got great humus soil right there. You don't have to you ship it to from Alaska. That, <laughs> you don't that, have to, to ship it from Alaska to Maine. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, and add that into the, like, two big handfuls of that stuff. Add some of the seaweed that you collected from earlier and made that into a brew. Well, that's I one like, of the things. I like Hygrozyme, that product, a lot. Hygrozyme? I've been using that forever. Yeah, I like adding that into my... It's one of the things I've compost. noticed lately is that there's this whole movement towards people using natural resources that are out there. You know, I uh, go and run up and down the stairs in Prospect Park, and the worms <laughs> in the crevices of the stairs are creating these worm castings yeah. right there. And you can actually just collect them with a little brush, bring them home, and, and top feed... Yeah. Your house plants with them, and I've been doing that and to, in the city too, to a large degree of success. It's like, yeah. you know, free nutrient, and it's very mild. I mean, worm castings that are every out apartment there in, the park. In, in New York could easily have a compost bin that you can yeah. make at home with a couple Tupperware containers, some newspaper, and just throw your food scraps in there, and you got great nutrient, and you're really helping the cause. And go outside and dump that compost onto your, you know, park tree or whatever. And you can take the juices and feed it to your plants, you know. Right on. Well, thank you very much, uh, Iggs from Migs, <laughs> The Beard, our Home buddy Grow here. HomeGrowDepot.com. Uh, yeah, check out HomeGrowDepot.com, H-O-M-E-G-R-O-W-D-E-P-O-T.com. You can call us at 877-821-GROW. That's 877-821-GROW. Stick around. We will be back. What is it? Eight seven one, eight seven seven eight two one four seven six nine. All right, we're smoking oil. We're, a little, <laughs> we're getting funny, but what is it? Eight seven seven eight two one four seven six nine. That's four seven six nine. You can ask their experts on the line for yep. all kinds of grow equipment. They've have thousand watt lights, six hundred watt lights, four hundred watt lights, two hundred fifty watt lights. 
every kind of uh, you know hydro unit, seven band LED boards, LED boards, and everything else. So check them out. Thank you very much, and we will be back. Yeah, you guys gave that thing the stash award. That's right. back now what an episode episode that was eight. great man yeah epic, we're, we epic. apologize for the uh, the background noise some of the staff got excited wanted to check out the interview but could not stop themselves from firing up the torches <laughs> and hitting those nails yeah that's what those noises are that that's not hissing due to uh sound quality that is actual uh, hissing due to gas <laughs> and we're also sorry that we didn't have more time to spend uh, with Dr. Grinspoon. We look very much forward to having him on the show again and hearing yeah. more about his uh, his path. And Absolutely. The he's, he's definitely done. a future guest uh, and a friend of the podcast, so we're excited about that. Thanks so much. Episode 8 has been epic. We have uh, gone way over the amount of time we, we were supposed to have, but that's, you know... I hope to your benefit, and I hope you enjoy the show. Check us out on Facebook.com. Check us out on Hightimes.com slash Freeweed. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please click the little uh, five-star thing. Give us a good rating. Give us a good commentary, what you think about the show. Let us know. All right. And also, Thanks just a uh, one more piece of business before we go. I think everyone out there should know that uh, Mr. Danko and I face each other in the High Times Fantasy Football Uh-oh. League this yeah. week. We uh, will report next. We're going to report on the next week of our classic matches. It's going to be intense. Both three and one. Very, both. very good squads sending out there. Uh, so it'll be an adventure. All right. All right. See you next week.